we have a new sponsor of ad spend do you hate money well if you hate money you're going to hate retention.com if you love money you're going to love retention.com and you're going to hear a little bit more about them later in the show but you can go sign up right at retention.com if you can't wait till then enjoy the episode of ad spend exclusively on the triple whale network if you are the coolest kid in high school and then you go into the NBA the next day. Odds are either you are LeBron James or you're out of the league. The problem is like you're deciding your task to set up that like you, you still have no confidence with that data. It might be really good, but it's not doing good at a scalable level. But it is better than just running the, the wheel of the hamster wheel of more and more creative tests. All right, folks, welcome back to your favorite D2C podcast. And boy, we got one. When I, when I told Melwani about this, I, said, I threw it by him. I said, hey, Chuck T wants to come on. What you think? And Melwani said, hell yeah. So here we are, the man with the plan, the best dyed hair and nails in the game, a fantastic LA villa. Uh, for folks that don't know, Charlie has a beautiful pool. Uh, we're in this big group text and he kept us privy to the, all the updates uh one caveat building a pool was a little bit more expensive than than it, it seems to be but hey but you know <laughs> that's that's why we're here folks to print the money and as always my partner in crime the slinger of the collagen the shipper of the campaigns the best looking indian on the internet ashvin Mowani. ash how you doing brother good brother how are we doing really really good so I think you're going to drive this one a little more than past ones. You have a pretty cool um, idea in terms of kind of going through three general testing frameworks that you had come across, right? Yeah, I think uh, let me just get into it, right? Um, so these are all frameworks that I've personally tested myself. Um, still trying to figure out what the best structure is and, and, and what makes sense for our business, right? But I do think there is definitely pros and cons to almost everything, right? Um, yep. and so Charlie here, I think is one of the brightest minds when it comes to understanding how meta systems actually work. Right. I want to go in through all the pros and cons of everything. Cause I do think that there are some, you know, structures that perform better than others. Um, but I want, I want you to kind of dive in and, and kind of explain why you think that is right. The case. So, so let's, I guess in no particular order. Um, probably one of the most uh, popular account structures, right, is you have a testing campaign and a scaling campaign, right? So yep. the the theory here is, you know, you got your you got you know new creatives that come in every week. You set up a test campaign, um, you know, set it on broad, let it run for seven days. Hey, you got a winner? Cool. Let's toss it into this to the scaling campaign, right? Um, that for a while is what a lot of people are doing. That's what I was doing for a while. There's a lot of nuances there that to me sometimes work, sometimes doesn't, right? And Charlie, I think you can agree to this that the sometimes doesn't is the issue with this account structure, right? So say for example, you know, you're testing four or five creatives in this in its own environment at a low budget, you move it into this big campaign and it's and it's this like the big boys can this new ad compete with the big boys or does it completely mess up the entire structure right so charlie take it from here um give us the pros and cons what do you what do you feel about the structure um why do you think it's so popular and what should people really be focusing on yeah well thanks um 
And, and by the way, Rob, if you're in LA next week, like Cannonball, I'm Bro. coming. I, I know. I'm coming like, for the uh, for I'm Geek X. I'm the cool right now. Like it is warm. I got a hot tub. It can be heated. Bro, you got your fancy little fireplace thing. Not I mean, the, you the, know, the sand. Chef's kiss. The the the, pe- the place is All impeccable. Right, to get down to the to get down to the nitty gritty here. I'm I'm setting a timer so I don't ramp for too long. Ah, uh, because I care, people. I care. Ah, uh, uh, so that being said, boom. So oh, can I stop thing. you for a second? The Charlie yeah. Redemption tour is working. Never in a million years would you ever put a timer for your rants. I love this. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, it's working. Keep it going. Okay, I'm, sorry, I'm, proceed. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> All right. Start. There we go. Okay, so first thing, why is it popular? Well, it's a very old strategy that absolutely works, and it comes from CPC and inventory-based platforms. So, for instance, if you're doing display, or you're doing tabula, or you're doing landing page testing, something along that lines where you have a set inventory, or, or say you're buying on a CPM basis for banner ads on like CNN or MTD or something like that, this is absolutely the way to go. Because the CPM is a constant cost. And because you don't have control over the environment, so it's a, the inventory is a constant. So if the inventory is a constant, you're just testing to see what gets you the best result. So in that way, it absolutely makes sense to isolate your variables, see what works, and then amplify the one that does the best. The problem is, at its core, Facebook is not that. And it really hasn't ever been that. It is an optimized CPM environment, optimizing for the end user experience. So at its very core, the DNA of that test, where it comes from, is something that Facebook doesn't do. And part of the reason Facebook is so successful is because Facebook itself is predicated on using a completely different type of technology. So with that being said, a testing method for something that's obsolete, that isn't built for how the code is written, doesn't really make a lot of sense. The second pain point here is that I think most people have the mistaken opinion that your testing starts in your testing campaign, but it doesn't. Your testing campaign is seeing what lottery ticket do you want to actually install to your scaling campaign and your test doesn't actually start until it hits that scaling campaign because it doesn't actually have to spend any meaningful money until it hits there so you're pulling lottery tickets to see what you think your best chance is to actually start your creative test with but you say well it's not total lottery i've got wins i've got losses been money for seven days launch 50 ads okay great your winner had what three sales five ten how many salesmen were doing door-to-door sales inside of that neighborhood where 17 people knocked on the same door every single day? Which one got lucky the most? Is that anything at 50 bucks a day, 500 a day, that you want to spend 5,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 a day on? For me, that's a very low integrity data set built on a non-actionable set of data that I'm then risking the stability of my business on. And I think the other part of that too is because you're launching so many tests, how many different types of attention are you bringing into your store? Like any landing page test that you run, as soon as you change the ad or the targeting, basically begins becomes obsolete. So you're making every after-the-click optimization effectively null and void just so that you can spend the majority of your money developing losers that raises your cost of advertising across the platform so you can then take a lottery ticket and bet your entire business on your standard operating procedures to do that faster and faster and more and more and more. And I don't see anybody saying that that also isn't saying things like I'm having trouble scaling or Facebook is getting more expensive. 
And really, it's not that you're having trouble scaling and Facebook isn't getting more expensive. It's that you're creating more harm and reducing the quality of the relationship with the platform. So as a result, it's less effective for you, which on a surface makes complete sense as far as I see. Okay, so a lot of points there. When you're saying <clears throat> it's kind of like this lottery ticket where you're like, all right, I'm tossing up some ads, it's getting some sales, and it's like, okay, it's producing some you know, decent CPA, but why would you toss that into something where you've been running a ton of money and, and you're spending you know, 50, 100K on uh, with the big boys, right? What if, and I think the example you use, like, okay, this ad maybe got five, 10, you know, 20 sales. What if this ad has been running for quite a bit? What if you do have a substantial amount of budget that you've allocated towards testing where maybe that campaign does have, you know, two weeks worth of data that, you know, as you start to scale it up, you know, in its own environment, it is producing results where, okay, I know that this can kind of, this has got now gone maybe 50 to 100 conversions not just five, 10 or 20, it has a, bu a bunch of data and then moving that over, right? What's the, what's the, I guess the, the cons of doing that or why, like, why is that bad? No. And I think there you're starting to leverage your bet. You're getting closer to the idea of, I don't have a test. I don't have a steady, like I'm running 50 creatives for a week, right? You're starting to hedge your bet by saying the things that win, I'm going to keep on. So I like it. You're moving further and further away from letting basically luck be your KPI. Um, but we also have, so, so that's better. Um, I would say on average, when I see accounts set up like that, that are doing that, that testing campaign generally doesn't, either one or two things are happening. One, that testing campaign doesn't take the lion's share of the budget. So it's like 500 out of 5k, or it's like, you know, 10k out of 50,000, like it's a percentage. So even right. something that gets 75% of the pocket change and it's a, and it's winning, that is no indication of what's going to happen when it gets access to 80%. If you are the coolest kid in high school and then you go into the NBA the next day, odds are either you are LeBron James or you're out of the league. The problem is like you're deciding your test to set up that I'm never like, like you, you still have no confidence with that data. It might be really good, but it's not doing good at a scalable level. But it is better than just running the the wheel of the hamster wheel of more and more creative tests. So I like it. It's better. So what is the pushback of moving it into that scale campaign and then seeing how it performs? I think my biggest issue there is one, at best, what you've done is you set something up. You have a lot of confidence with, I'm going to actually start a creative test with this asset. You're just still hedging your bet before the bet actually starts. The problem is it's also in direct competition with, so it's not competing for in like a CBO environment where Facebook is choosing which bucket to put in money in. This is just a separate bucket. So it's a competitor. It's not complementary. So you also don't have any idea of how it's impacting your business after the click. You have no idea if it's a prospecting, retargeting, where it's going to fit in the mix. And you don't really have a good idea of how it's affecting your incremental results, you know, off Facebook. So it's a much higher confidence way of testing things, but you're still sitting at a spot where I have no idea what this winner actually means to my business. And they look probably at least half the time or more, it's going to be good for you. And then at that point, my pushback is, well, 
great. So it took you three weeks to identify a winner that could have been a banger on day three. Like if it is that good, the opportunity cost is massive. So, I mean, if it's great, why not let it be great? And so if you wasted 90% of your budget to find something that's good and then take you a month to get there, you could have had that success forever ago. And cash flow is can't. You wasted 20, 30 days, then get something that then has to start and ultimately becomes a winner. That's a huge liability. The, the summary here is that instead of testing it separately and the hopes that you find this winner or whatever it is, that would have been proven if you were to directly test that against the the big winners right off the bat. Um, and if it was, you've already you've you've cut down the timing that it needs to to actually test something, and you've kind of like 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 you just said, three weeks to get fifty to one hundred conversions on a testing campaign versus let me just stick this in another ad set and a CBO that's scaled up to 20 k a day, and if it does get the spend and it is converting. I already know that it has the 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 legs to to compete at that level. That that sounds like it's a cash flow and a time thing, and opportunity cost. Yeah, the opportunity cost. And I think the other thing that I didn't really mention there, but I, I feel like it's implied, but maybe it's not because I I think I have this conversation I have this conversation constantly in like consulting calls with people in the MBA program and just folks that book on my calendar. What if that ad has a bad CPA? Is that bad for you? The answer might be no. Like, I was just on a call with somebody earlier, like half an hour before this. These kids that are doing some great stuff and like their bad ad gets all the spend. And as soon as they turn it off, their search volume goes down by like 20%. Their email on take rate goes down by like five or 10. As soon as they turn that bad ad off, they lose a ton of money. Because Facebook isn't, shouldn't be your source of revenue. Facebook is a business model amplification device. You are buying attention. And your job as a business operator is to monetize that attention the most effective way. And if you are relying only on Facebook to do that, you are relying on one of the worst exchange rates possible as an investment banker. And very few people get rich buying really expensive money. So what you're saying then is the opportunity cost and the time to decision that naturally emanates from a testing campaign is not that valuable. It's much better to throw somebody in the fire. Can you go kill and get me conversions or what have you? And then from that, because I don't have a testing campaign per se, I'm also adhering to an axiom of simplification where I, I just have this amazing campaign that I can just chuck these killers into and then you you either swim or die and if you swim here here's more money go buy a boat yeah because you know three things to be true number one if it doesn't earn spend it's not good I don't care what you think about it I don't care what your creative director said I don't give a damn what anybody said about it it doesn't earn spend it doesn't meet your business partner's objectives yep it's a liability to your relationship and buying attention and then your business model of monetizing it. So it's net negative for you. To summarize that, right? To, to say that in layman's terms, it, is it this ad, these four new ads that I had my creative team put out, you know, this and that, hooks, discovery, research, that ad against what I've been running for the last two, three weeks at 100K spend, this and that, does not compete against these three 
why bother even tossing it in there? That's basically what you're saying. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, when you do toss it in, it basically Rob and I are fantasy football league. So I'm using fantasy football. I'll use a fantasy football term. As a wide receiver, target share is earned. You get thrown the ball because you're good. Now, there's a bunch of things that can happen, but good wide receivers get thrown the ball roughly 25% of the time or more. One, sorry for the sporty ball analogies if you're not in a sport. So wide receiver is uh, the person that lines up outside. They're usually tall and really good catchers, and they can run really fast. Uh, I was just going to push back and say that uh, I think that you actually get targeted not because you're good, because the quarterback prefers to throw to you. A lot of times the quarterback prefers to throw to you. Why? Because you're good. So I, I think you sure. have the causation inverted because at the end of the day, Facebook is the quarterback. And yeah, if you're absolutely. good, they're going to throw you way more impressions cheaper than this other receiver that possibly could score a touchdown and have this Tyreek Hill style speed. But I don't know if they're going to catch it. So I'm going to actually go to this other person that I know I can rely on the catch. Facebook's business model. As a brand, what they do is they retain attention for as long as possible. Google and Amazon, their business model is to get you off of Google and off of Amazon as quickly as possible. So the business objective of how to be good at Google and how to test for that is how do I give somebody what they want so they leave? Facebook is how do I give somebody what they want so they'll stay? So if that ad doesn't get spent, Facebook and whatever they've decided is, this is a liability to our business model. You've given us 12 choices. This choice costs us money. We're not gonna let you do it. We're not gonna spend there. Or if we do, the CPM is gonna be really high. Or like, so it's gonna get leveraged out. So if that ad doesn't get delivery, it's a clear sign that for whatever reason, it's ultimately not meeting the business objectives of your partner. And ultimately, you don't have control over what ads get shown in debut. And if you did have control, that would require you making literally thousands of decisions every second, like 24 hours a day. Like, that's impossible. So it's a, it's a machine, right? And so your job is, how do I set up my business partner to be effective? Because at best, I can only micromanage bunch of variations of my business partner and usually when i do that i get a much worse result what do you say to the people who are like okay well i've spent five thousand dollars on this creative i need to see if it has some legs or whatever it is to and if facebook's not going to spend on it well i have to force bet on it and see what happens myself right what sure. do you say to that great question yeah i get that a lot and and, and i will say this Generally, one of two things happens, and believe me, I've, I've and in my day, I've done that probably a thousand times. Like, uh, yeah, you spend a couple hundred million, you, you do that a few times, right? And I will say, basically, one of two things happens. Number one, that ad does really well in Facebook. Like, the CPA looks great, and then say, okay, cool. So, what I need to do is not trust Facebook at all. And in a month, and two months, you have an ad account with a bunch of isolated killers that are all dying off faster and faster and faster because you set up a system that predicates itself on you having to be right and that creates depreciation in all of those assets. And while that's happening, generally speaking, your CPMs are going up too. 
Because now you got a bunch of killers that all work in isolation competing against each other. And basically they all, instead of there being enough food for one dog to eat, now they're all starving. And so they kill each other off. And so your solution is, I'm just going to get more dog. I'm just going to throw more things in there. So you're setting up a system that ultimately can't scale. So even if you're right, the net outcome of extrapolating that out 10 moves is you're dead. So probably not a good idea. The other thing that will happen is you do that and maybe it does work for a while and then it does it and you get what you do see is your other environment gets directly impacted by it. And do I want one ad that works well that I know because I'm forcing delivery, I'm going to see ad fatigue, which is a choice. And I'm creating ad fatigue on this asset while also depreciating my control environment. Is that net positive for me? Do I want to make every one of my employees worse by giving my one star employee a month under the sun and then have to rebuild the whole thing? What I don't see happen is you do that and then you have three ads that you're forcing in isolation your entire account is just basically those three ads and it works forever. And you never have to test again. Like that model doesn't work past step two. So at scale, it's like saying, okay, well, if I'm going to test this creative in this isolated environment, I start to scale that up. I see conversions. I see a really good CPA. My blended looks fine, right? Um, which is what I think I'm hoping marketers are starting to look at more now. It's not just what's seeing, you know, in platform, but your blended, you know, CPA using, you know, our, our favorite, you know, triple whale, uh, tool, um, Powerful and seeing, <laughs> and so from there, right, that's where I think we can kind of go back to what you kind of agreed on, which is if I'm, if I'm validating the test outside of the main environment, 100, 200 conversions, whatever, and then saying, okay, well, I have a better bet tossing it back into the big boys. That, to me, I feel like, one, on an investment perspective, I spent 5K on this creative. I've proved that it can convert. Now let me see if it can kind of convert with the big boys. That's where, like, I feel like I can justify my cost outside of the business as well, getting the creative and things like that. So that, to me, makes sense. Versus like, all right, if I toss it in the big boy campaign, it doesn't get any spend. It's like, well, like now I got to answer to my creative agency that said, hey, we just produced this for you. What happened? And it's like, well, Facebook didn't spend on it. So what do you want me to do? You know? So it yeah. has to account for all these other elements of the business, which is what is tough for marketers to wrap their heads around. I will say that like at a small degree, I understand that. And let me take, you know, at 310, for instance, I had a $100,000 a month budget on the acquisition of influencer user generated content. Like I had a hundred grand that I had to spend every month. I had this exact conversation with Tim, uh, CEO of, of, of iRecon that owns a bunch of things. Uh, and what we got down to was I got him to buy into the idea and, and ultimately it was a mutual decision between head, me and Marina Randolph, uh, who is our president, former VP of Guthrie Banker. She's a G, by the way. Check out Marina Randolph if you don't know it. Rob, has met her, maybe. Um, I think so. What we came down to was the reason we're paying money to outsource creative is because if we get an ad that we can spend a million dollars on, it's worth everything else. The point is, I want to be able to say, now let's take it to the nth degree, but I've got a very simple campaign where I've got four, five, six control ads. 
and I know the frequency and the CPM by day on these ads, and I know how they're affecting my omni-channel marketing, and I've got the incremental lift nailed down. I can go to my creative team and say, I need a video ad that will target mid-funnel that's going to have a better CPM or CPA than something else. Here's the thing it has to be. Now my creative shop isn't just dumping out things that they like. And now my creative test can last for weeks or months. Because say it does work and my blended CPA improves. Well, the net output of that is I can probably just spend more money on Facebook. I don't even need to move the post ID of that test in my control environment to let max down my omni-channel efficiency. But now that creative team is being evaluated on their hit rate of taking the extraordinarily specific creative brief of the business objective that needs to be solved for, and they can deliver hits often enough to pay for themselves. And like, I mean, at Under Outfit, we had an ad that was quite literally from a photo shoot. I built it in the slideshow. I think Felix built it in the slideshow in Facebook's ad unit. Like just the, here's an ad, here's five, six images, put it in a little video. That one ad spent like nearly $2 million. Retention.com isn't just sponsoring ad spend and Retention.com isn't just there to help you grow your email funnels. They're also an amazing resource for marketers. Check out their podcast, check out their YouTube channel, check out their resources, including the five fundamental marketing flows you need to grow. Get all of that at retention.com. The link is in the description below. I want to interject here a little bit because I love both of the perspectives, but I don't know where you landed on this, Ash, but I think I might be trending more towards, and you're going to kill me, blasphemy, Charlie's side here, because for me, the situation you get into there is good money behind bad money. If they created an ad that is not performing, do you really want to spend $10,000 to validate that this ad does not perform or whatever percent of budget? And so I think for me, it's a little bit more what Charlie's saying is that you need to have the creative agency more aligned with what you want out of them. And there also needs to be, um, you know, if $5,000 isn't a lot of money to that business, that's fine. But I'm more of the uh, ilk of, because I've done this as well, where, I mean, it, you know, RIP the creative agency, but... Um, we were building ads in Canva that were destroying these high production ads. And so it got to a place of like, dude, we don't need to spend like $20,000 to run this right. ad account on creatives. Let's spend it more on ads or let's throw events or to Charlie's point, let's hire influencers. And so I, I love the example cause I think it comes up a lot, but I think that it is, uh, it can be a bit of a siren song of like, Oh my gosh, I spent all this money on this ad. Like, can flip it into brand awareness, start smashing it across organic, start trying to get some more mileage out of it. But just like there's a economic thingy to get nerdy, right. um, of sunk costs, like that money spent dog pump, you pumping the tires on this car that doesn't have an engine. Like, is that really like, I think one of the jobs of media buyers or CMOs or marketing leaders is capital allocation. You know, yeah. maybe you took a bet in that you got the $5,000 done and it, it's an amazing video, but you know, in your heart of hearts that like, this isn't, this isn't a pro, this isn't the, the, the it's not going to win. And so how can I get the maximum amount of value from this asset without having to put good money behind bad money? So that would be my only pushback to that thing. And again, it's, it's a, I think where it gets 
really tricky is when this is the founder or a high ups brainchild and you have to be very understanding of the politics of that because it's very hard to call your baby ugly. And so what I would do is lay out the land of like, okay, cool. We spent X amount of dollars on here. You have me budgeted for Y amount of dollars. The signs of this video popping off compared to historicals are not great. Very rarely do you have this come from behind. Like if anything, Facebook is not a come from behind story. Like you win or you don't. And so then you get to a place of like, here's the, here's what's going on. But at the end of the day, it's their money. As long as you can show them, Hey, you know, this is the path you want to go down and you want to go put a bucket of money and light it on fire. And you want me to report on that? That's totally fine. But that's probably what's going to happen. I think that's kind of the best case scenario you can get when you have a lot of vested interests in a certain creative doing well, because I've had that before. And it is, uh, you know, it's awkward where it's like, you you know, um, not to have the crass analogy, but you don't want to give lump sums of money to addicts. (laughs) It is not for me. Yeah, that money is gone, dog. You know, that money is gone. It makes total sense. Rabbi, I got a question for you because I think, uh, Charlie, the, 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 the theory and the strategy here makes complete sense. I'm on the same page, which is why I messaged you even this morning. I said, hey, I've been testing this. I have questions around it, but what your explanation makes total sense. Raba, question for you now, right? Because you, what you said also kind of like as a founder or operator who kind of understands this, right? But now you have a team that, sorry, we're moving away from like the tactics of like ad account structure. But say you have the team where like I have my video editor who's taking his time editing videos, this and that, all for him to come back and say next week, like, hey, how did that one video perform? I was really looking forward to that and seeing what happens there. And I have to go and say like, well, Facebook didn't spend anything on it. We've got to move on to the next idea, right? And he's just like, well, what Like, what if it did work? What if we separated it out? What if we did this, right? How can I now as like a manager, a person in that managerial role, now have this person understand that when it's technically not exactly their role as like a media buyer to understand why, but have them feel like, hey, their work's being valued and to like, we're not just like tossing their shit to the side and, and just moving on to the next thing, right? Absolutely love this question. I want to get your your viewpoint too, Charlie, but this is uh, super near and dear to my heart. One of the companies that was a client was a Australian public company, um, really big iPhone app. And the way we got around this was um, Gamify it. And so essentially you have your creatives and every week we'd run a test and to Charlie's point, we throw it into the mix and you try and dethrone the champion. If you don't dethrone the champion, it is what it is. You can get, you know, we had the way we ran it was essentially we would green light one core concept. The creative agency would give us four iterations of that core concept. And then we would run all those iterations and then we would, you, you win or you didn't. And there wasn't any, oh, you didn't give me a fair shot or anything like that. We've heard, here's the amount of, and and to be fair, Charlie, we did do a little bit of testing, you know, but there was because there were certain variations of people we did want to draft into the big leagues. But that was, that was it where it's like, dude, you get X amount of shots to, to make it. And that's what you have to work with. So, I mean, the, the creative, I don't think we'll get too caught up in the, the too long didn't read is the systemization portrayed a feeling of fairness where to your point like oh my creators were getting a shot 
did this beat the the champion creative? And a lot of times it won't. But to Charlie's point, like if you can get the going back to the sports analogies, there's five person on a basketball team. If you can get an awesome like third player, fourth player, even like a fifth player that are still contributing, but you're you still have your your superstars there, that's a win. And so for me, that that systemization of getting in that cadence of the creative of like, here's our core concept. You need to develop these core concepts. Give me four iterations. Let's run these four iterations against the champion. And it was really fun. It was one of the better meetings of the week because everybody was excited. Like the creatives aren't in the ad account. And as the media buyer, I got to do all this analysis and stuff. And so that was something that I found really helpful to alleviate not only the anxiety of the creative, but bringing a, a, a helpful structure around everything. And then it also gave you something to send to to management or your boss, right? Like, here's the creative test we ran. Here's what our champion creatives are producing. Did we beat this week? No. And dude, we I was there for almost two years. And I think like there was four times, four times we were able to dethrone the champion out of, I can't, like 50 tests, maybe 60 tests. So it's what I, I guess the two line didn't read. And I want to take like a meta level here. No pun intended is that the best media buyers I know don't think of things in good or bad. They think of things in the scientific method. Here's my thesis. Here's where I think it's going to end up. And then you measure it. And here's where it ended up. Because if you get caught up into that good and bad stuff, um, to Charlie's point, you start to just chase luck versus being able to have a systemic viewpoint of like, this isn't good or bad. Like the ads aren't mad at me or the ads don't like me. This is totally amoral. <laughs> yeah. It's just is this the system I'm running and is this system producing the results I want? Okay, this experiment did not. That's great. There's some learnings that I can integrate where, hey, I don't need to put males in my ads. They are absolutely not working. So now I have an even more tighter brief to then give to my creative of like never use imagery of males. It's not working for us. It doesn't. Or And so that's what I would say is like the more you can get into that systemization and the more you can shift your framing from successful or unsuccessful versus thesis verified or thesis um, nullified, I think that's just, and candidly, it's a better place to be in your head because you start to get the ego starts chirping at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of my little uh, soapbox Keep speech. Keep the emotion out of it. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, yeah, but that's my, that's my take. Here's, Where are you at, Here's Charlie? what I've done, especially when we've had like the in-house, because it's the outhouse, like, oh, you're unhappy with that? Cool. Um, I'll just take my business elsewhere. Like, whatever. You're getting paid. So, whatever that's on you right like if it's a vendor that i'm paying them like 5k a month that's your motivation and if you do poorly i'm gonna hire somebody else you want my business yep. do good work bottom line and if i believe in your work and we communicate you're gonna be on the team because i need like one hit every like six months for it to for be great the other thing i've done when they're in house is really gone across the point and this is something i try to tell media buyers all the time is your losses tell you way more than the wins do. Everything lost. Yep. Okay, well, what worked, what didn't, right? And you set it up in a dynamic creative where now you're really leveraging machine learning. What works, what doesn't? And a good creative, in my opinion, a good creative director will look at dynamic creative as a tool to help them be better and better at their job. You can really start to analyze your work and get better and better at it and one of the things that I did when I've had in-house teams is, and I've noticed this works if they have the right head on the shoulders of the person that's there, but I let very much, I taught the creative director 
how to pull reports in Facebook. And I literally was like, these are the ads that are spending, these are the ones that aren't. Like, this is what's working, this is what isn't. And then we would have conversations of like, how do I get, how can I work with you to, to dethrone, as, as Rob put it? Like, how do we work together to really make that happen? Fun. Because it was really then, fun. now it's like, oh, I, none of my things are spinning, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, let's work together so that that's it. Like, it's in my best interest to, pre- to help you dethrone the best one. So what do we need to do? Now we've got a symbiotical relationship where that person is hella motivated to make it happen. And to be fair, when that new ad comes in, that means we go from 25,000 to 30,000 a day or 60,000 to 85,000. Like everybody feels that, you know, and, and, to, and right. to just kind of reiterate on that sunk money thing, just to give you an example, just in an, uh, 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 the worst sunk money situation. For, I hold on, I got to pause there. For people that are listening, Charlie had this, this very philosophical lean. And so I, uh, this is, this is going to be something yes. interesting. If you're not watching, if you do want to watch, you can go over to youtube.com slash triple whale. You see that YouTube plug kids? That's what you call Love pro that. pro. Love okay. Go ahead, Charlie. <laughs> so I'll give you an example of my biggest fail at making this call. It was a hundred thousand dollar call and we lost another 175 on me chasing it. And I got written up badly by someone who's like, I don't know what to, I have to. I paid a Kardashian a hundred grand to shill the shake. I think we made 15 K on it. And I chased that with another hundred plus thousand. I think on hundred fifty, hundred seventy five 175 K. So we were out almost 300,000 more or less like 250 after the profit. I mean, Hey, this is a business. I went in there. They're doing about 18. I left about 20 months later. They're doing 95. But still, quarter million dollars is a lot. Yeah. And like, that's where I learned that lesson of like, you you can't, you just can't, you know, you just never know. Yeah, of course. Uh, and the worst thing ever, the thing that was just the knife in the chest, the best ad we had running at that time was a stupid picture that the receptionist took in the kitchen making a shake with an iPhone. And it was like an iPhone 6. And we just threw it up as an Instagram story and it got like 500,000, like, like whatever. It hurts. Hurts. We used to, uh, like when I was, what is that, that agency, um, we had some pretty big spenders and we had this like, um, like lead generation, essentially like, a, like an insurance, like wealth manager kind of company or whatever did absolute numbers. Um, we were spending a million a month, like, like real, real money. Uh, the weird thing was though, they would like, uh, they had to link it to their kind of lead flow and we would have to cut off ads all the time because like either budget anyways, uh, too long. Didn't read. We had like every single big gun, super fancy creative agency. And this stupid fucking picture, it was literally that cheesy picture of the, the company people in, in front of like the branch office. Oh yeah. Never, I remember this one. Never, never dethroned it, dude. And it was the bane of my existence because I was like, this is so terrible. And it was just the, the amount spent behind it and the social proof, anytime you gave that any sort of like spend again, it would just crush everything else. And that was one of the most frustrating things ever because everything in my being was like, this is the worst ad ever. Like the copy was terrible. Headlines just absolutely slayed. So kind of to your point, Ash, of getting that, that was a very good learning for me to not become emotional because I was like, it was almost like uh the basketball player that you hate or something that, that just, just win that you don't get it. And they would just yeah. every time beat anything that you threw at it. 
Um, it's like Dennis it was, Rodman back when he was in Texas. Oh, dude, it was so frustrating. It was, it was the, it was so frustrating. And so, I mean, the for me, the too long didn't read. It was just like eh, never be attached or have dogmas because the weird can win. And you, you, as a media buyer or as a founder, you have two choices: do you want to be right or do you want to make money? Yep. That's it. Right. Hey, you want to be right? That's cool. Give me another $10,000 to test behind this beautiful high production ad. You want to make money? Amazing. <laughs> I will do that as well. And so I think as an agency or somebody that um, is working with uh, clients per se, um, you, you really just need to constantly reframe it as it's not your money. And so you need to say, hey, here's the way I could deploy your capital. Here's what I think the expected outcomes are. Which way do you want me to drive? And, you know, if it gets to a place that is really un, unpleasant for you anymore, then, you know, I, hopefully you could be in a financial situation that you can maybe move on from that engagement. But at the end of the day, you're driving their boat and you, you need to be cognizant of basically everything you're saying is going to be a recommendation. Ideally, it gets to a place of where it becomes a decision. But um, being right. able to lay that groundwork and help the founder or whoever your boss is at the time understand the implications of their actions. And sometimes they say, fuck it, drive the car over the cliff. It is what it is. But um, I think that's something that also helped me out a lot running agency life was understanding personalities and just being like, hey, man, we'll, we'll run whatever strategy you want. But at the same time, that's why you're giving me the money is to come up with this strategy. So... <laughs> Anyways, a little ranty there, but uh, man, this has been a great talk. Products have different personas, right? So there's, there's, you're going to have one. So let's take our collagen uh, burn, for example, right? You have the weight loss audience and you have this beauty audience, right? Yep. Do you, Charlie, do you go at this product from two different sides and does that become two entirely different funnels that, for one product, do you create two two different funnels? Or are you trying to find which aspect to hit that has the best efficiency? And so you're kind of putting up, you know, ads that kind of hit both or target different personas against the same test against your winners. Or if you're like, okay, I know there's two separate audiences for that. I'm going to treat them completely separate. I don't know if that made sense. No, it totally makes sense. I would look at this in two ways. And the first thing I'm going to do is a PSM analysis on those audiences. I want to know that beauty buyer, do they behave the same as the weight loss buyer or the, you know, right? Do they behave the same? Do they have the same second purchase rate, LTV, CPA? Do the unit economics of that type of buyer match? And if so, then yes, it's one business objective, one campaign. If the unit economics of that attention are different, then I will separate them out with different business objectives. And ultimately, one of them is probably going to be better for me. And to be fair, like, Ellen Ralph, like, I know that a woman under the age of 35 that buys a bra, she's going to come in and buy one. Then she's probably going to come back and buy a buy three, get one free, and then trickle in on a new one every few months and drop a couple. I don't want to know the age of 55. She's going to buy three, get one free every four to six months. She's more expensive, same product. The LTV on the older woman, much better. The cash flow analysis, though, is much different. Because they don't get the one sale and then the immediate bump and then the trickle. Why well, I just get like the hit? So now I need to understand what's my business objective. So if it's quarter four, I'm going after all the, the long money I can. Like I'm right. going after that, that older woman that's going to spend more money because I know I'm getting them at a discount. 
Like a lot of them make the mistake in Q4 of offering discounts, which is like the dumbest thing ever. You're getting the people to buy from you for a cheaper cost. Buying intent is higher. So you're getting the sale for a lower price. You're accessing a higher LTB at a larger margin. So in that case, I'm going to go after the long money in Q4. Q1, I'm going to go after the short money. So that the time Q2 comes back in and we see, oh, it's April. Oh, my costs are rising. What's wrong with Facebook? But this has happened 10 years in a row. Like you could, by now you should expect it. And what happens for me? The long money from Q4 hits and the short money from Q1 hits. And so now Q2 and Q3 is all CRM. And I can work on the, my business model. What can I do better as a business? So that when Q3 and Q4 hits again, I can vault even higher. I've done it a few times and I'm now like five businesses in just making eight, nine figure businesses for an exit. And I'm about to do my sits in like the last five years. Like there's a pattern. There's other ways of doing it. Uh, some people might go retail. Again, congratulations on the big contracts, right? But like if you have different unit economics for customer journeys, I want to identify those unit economics and then understand which one best meets my business needs as far as cash flow and inventory management are concerned. Makes sense. So if, because there's a lot of talk around creative like ideology where it's like, all right, well, I'm going to have a hook for this or a hook for that, right? So like, say for example, again, using collagen as an example, the hair aspect of it versus like the skin aspect of it, right? Sure, there's overlap between those two customers, but if somebody really cares about my like their hair situation versus their skin situation, are you going to kind of put those against each other and see what kind of comes out at the end or because they're kind of two separate audiences are you going to separate that out is a hair customer worth the same as the skin and the honest truth is maybe a hair customer has a lower cpa and the ltv is terrible well i'm gonna make the decision i'm basically never gonna buy that person right because Makes ultimately sense. too like what am i spending 50k a day 100k a day do i need to focus on a different type of buyer probably not so Am I going to cost, if I can make a nickel or I can make a quarter, I can make a profit on the nickel, but it costs me 20 cents to do it. Maybe the hair buyer, I lose 20 cents of opportunity cost every time I buy that customer. And it hurts my inventory because now I got to stock two different types of things. My, my supply center, my packing ship, my bundle offers, my, uh, I got to now test two completely different email flows, two completely different like landing page tests. I got to do with different types of customer service, like the post-purchase costs aren't double they're like triple or quadruple because of the complexity at the end of the day i'm i'm making my business way more difficult so that it can make less money and i have to work harder to do it which objectively makes no sense so like well what if you just started right what if you don't have yeah. that ltv data like what do you sure. what do you want brands to do i mean you do you do have ltv if your ltvs won't purchase that's your ltv and that data will evolve as you get more sales. Right. But like, that, if you've been at 30 that... days, your LTV purchase is one site. What can you do to get right. a second purchase? Then shift your business order to get you the best second purchase rate. So you're reducing your cost per acquisition, including the blended. And then your business model evolves. Right. You're still testing. You're still going to test everything until you can figure out what happens month three, month six. Is... Sure. Yeah. And, and then if my business needs change, I will change that up. Like I said, Q1 is short money. Q4 is long money. Q2, Q3, I'm letting the CRM come in and I'm going to improve the business model. And if I can continue that flywheel, for the last half, last five, six years I've been doing that and the net result is exponential growth. I mean, under Alpha went from 50K a month to a million a week. So we take the traditional from 18 million to 95. And we're talking like less than two years to make that happen. 
that has happened over and over again. So like, as far as I'm concerned, that I'm, it's not the only way, but that way is the way that makes Facebook an hour a week and means that everybody can kind of work part-time on the front end of the business because it means they're spending the most of their time on what actually makes money. And to be fair, if you need Facebook to work to be in business, you don't have a good business. Love Hate. it. Hate. It's a good place um, to end it. <laughs> what a good look is this, this drop in mics. I love this kid. Unbelievable. I did not. I did. Uh, Charlie, tell me not only about your amazing hair and nails, but how do I get a Chuck T MBA? Where do I go to from there? How do I follow sure. you? This time is yours, my friend. Plug away. I got Disruptor School, obviously, which is a great community and people can learn in there. And my flagship thing is the Facebook Ads MBA program. It's not just like a course or a community or some pre-recorded thing by somebody that doesn't do the work telling you what works for their team off the things they saw on Twitter two years ago. This is like, what does it take? If you were to hire me on your team, how do I make myself not necessary in nine to 12 weeks? I've standardized that into a thing that has lifetime access with, you know, support and perpetuity with weekly classes and a community. Um, that's it. Uh, MBA.FacebookDisruptor.com. You can check that thing out. And DisruptorSchool.com. Uh, you can go to enroll in Disruptor School and just bypass all the nonsense. But at the end of the day, I got an inch deep mile wide. That's Disruptor School. If you want to be like, man, I wish I could just hire Charlie and there'll be everything I need for the next three months. That is MBA program. Facebook ads, MBA program, Google it. It should come up. If it doesn't show up, then clearly I'm not good at my job at digital marketing. Uh, and like, that was probably the single highest payback investment. What I will make is the, I will tell you this, you're going to get the standard operating procedures and the support to take you to what you need to be to be successful. What you're not going to learn is how to be great at everything. Cause I'm not like some mid 20, late 20 year old kid that's going to promise you how to be good at every single platform and copywriting and everything else and charge you 12K to do it. And all this other nonsense when I haven't even had to deal with the problem inside of the thing called a bulb bear market. Like I've done this over and over again. I've been doing it for like a decade, over a billion in revenue driven. How do I make myself so you don't even need me? That's the Facebook ads and VA program. Boom. There we go, oh. folks. Go get you some knowledge. Now, after you get your Facebook MBA, you might jump in the car. You might turn on a little LCD sound system, hit the window, <laughs> nice. drive by some, you know, some some stores, and then all of a sudden you just see the shining, glowing sign, and it catches your eye. This is Vitamin Shop, and oh, then all really? of a sudden I think to myself, what do I do? And when I have these types of questions, I text Ash. If I text you, Ash, that I'm sitting outside of Vitamin Shop, what would you tell me to do? Why the hell are you sitting outside? Get your ass inside and pick up Avi Super Collagen Protein. Let's go. And post it on Twitter. Send me a picture. Um, but yeah, catch me on Twitter at Ashbelani. Metro Pass um, season two. Chew on this is in session. Has some really cool guests. Got um, we got Nick Sharma coming on tomorrow night, and Alex Beller from Postscript. So we got some heavy hitters. So you don't want to miss that. Um, coming soon. Are you on the Metro Pass yet, Charlie? Probably not. Obviously, I am. Oh, oh um, you are. Oh, great. Yeah. If you don't have. The economics for the Facebook MBA, or you just want to pick this beautiful man's brain, um, go get you on the mentor pass. Yeah. Uh, Kenny, Kenny's an amazing human. Yeah, I also just have my own consulting.facebookdisruptor.com, which is the same unit economics, but I get all the money. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we love Kenny. We love Kenny. Keep, do, right? keep your MBA it. program and use, do some mentor pass if you want. I love it. I would love to get more reviews. Kenny's great. I think it's a great way for people to have validated experts there and be at the end of the day, I'm a stranger on the internet that most of you will probably never see. 
take the words of other people who you trust that say that I'm also maybe worth my, you know, what, what I'm charged and go through that route. I love what Kenny's doing and the validation of these experts because I don't know that anybody's on there that hasn't earned their way in one way or another. And that is a beautiful thing. Damn, did you just pitch mentor? Yeah, let's go, Kenny. Let's go. We need to get Kenny back on. He's doing some really cool stuff over there. Uh, all right, folks, let's wrap it up. We are triplewell.com. If you want to get involved and use the whale app, ride the lightning, go to triplewell.com. We have a fantastic newsletter that goes out. Oh, yeah, the Disruptor Schools gear. Uh, we have a newsletter that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday called Whale Mail. You can sign up right at triplewell.com slash whale mail. Uh, for people that are listening, Charlie is distractingly uh, modeling his cool new Disruptor uh, School merch. Uh, what else we got? We got uh, another sister show, uh, You're Not Euroas. I sit down with some of the best and brightest, and we go through their journey as either operators, founders, etc. Uh, you can catch all of that on uh, your favorite podcast network, You're Not Euroas, Adsman. If you can, throw a review on this and or sub to the YouTube channel. Like I said, it's youtube.com slash tripwhale. We post all of our podcasts there. If you prefer to see our beautiful faces and Charlie's wonderful hair, um, the last thing, merch giveaway. What's the uh, safe word, Charlie, for this episode? Oh, the safe word for this episode? Let's say it's pineapple. Didn't we get that already? There's too many swingers that come on this show. We've oh, already used pineapple. Hey, look, buddy, look, let's, let's, you know, we don't have to use pineapple. Call it the brown acid. That's, let's go with that. <laughs> give me one more swing. <laughs> I, can't, I can't be promoting the hurrah on here. Come on, come on. Give me, give me one more. Give me one more swing here, kid. You are zero for two. Do not strike out. We pick a word for you. Oh, Give me one more. My my dog's over here. So let's let's go after this guy right there. That's Barkley. Oh, Barkley. I love Barkley. There we go. Amazing. Okay, so message me at Robert Rahill on the Twitters or at uh, Robert Rahill on LinkedIn. I can't believe you, Charlie. You did not disappoint. At Robert Rahill on Twitters. At Robert Rahill on the LinkedIn. Barkley. And uh, we'll get you hooked up with some awesome Triple Oil merch. And Charlie, dude, thank you so much, man. It's been really cool to uh, be a part of your journey. And for people that don't know, Charlie and I go uh, way, way back. We actually had our uh, first podcast together. It started out. So um, definitely go check out his stuff. Obviously, Ashvin Melwani, the man with the plan. Go follow all his stuff. He's been You've, you've been doing some work on Twitter. I don't know if I, I've been not missing your stuff in the past, but it feels like you're... Uh, you're pushing the time, baby. Yeah, you're you're putting out some really awesome content. So go follow both of these wonderful humans. And that's it. That's all we got for you. Another ad spend in the books. Thank you so much for being a listener. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.